If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll read verse 16 down to verse 22. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 down to verse 22. I'm going to read it out to KJV. I know that the church uses the NIV here. I've been preaching from the King James for 15 years, so it's going to take a while for me to adjust to that one, okay? So yeah, bear, bear with me, be patient with that. So I'm going to have some verses in the KJV and some will be in the NIV. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearances of evil. Let's, let's pause and pray once again. Eternal God and Father, Lord, we come this morning to your throne of grace in Jesus' name. We thank you for this opportunity to have a service. We pray now to acquire our hearts and minds and prepare our hearts for the word of God. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We pray now that you will bless the message, encourage us, challenge us, build us up. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give a message today that I've had the opportunity to preach now four times in the last couple of months. Back in June, I was at Quinton Road Baptist Church for our annual Grace Conference. I attended a school out there entitled Dayspring Bible College. And each year, they have a leadership conference. So back in June, I gave this message. And the same message I gave again in July at a church out in Indianapolis. And just last Sunday, I was out of town. I wanted to hear my brother preach. But I was out of town. A past friend of mine, son, was in the hospital. He asked me to fill the pulpit for him. And I gave this message. And I'm going to preach the same message today. Now... I have more than one sermon in my, my flash drive at, at work, so let's make that clear. This is very intentional. I, I teach at PGM five days a week. I'm not preaching this every day. But I believe this is a message that God wanted me to give today at the church. I believe it's a message that will encourage you, it will challenge you, and I pray that God will use this message to kind of, the bottom line of this message, before I even get into this, is found in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 12, when the Bible says, encouraging comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God. That's the big picture of the message. When we live a life that's worthy of God, we rejoice, pray. We, we are grateful. We're thankful. So the first message or the first point today or exhortation, we see that found in verse 16. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, the first exhortation Rejoice always. Now, when you hear that, if you're anything like me, human, how? Come on. I know some of you are not rejoicing now, so I can tell you're not rejoicing all the time. Amen. How? How do I rejoice when I just lost my job? How do I rejoice if I'm battling depression? How do I rejoice if I'm enduring persecution? So to rejoice, it's easy to rejoice when everything's going good. 
So that's not what God's talking about here. That's common sense. If you just got married, no one needs to tell you to rejoice, or they shouldn't have to tell you to rejoice, okay? If they have to tell you to rejoice at your wedding, you messed up, amen? So there are certain times in life when it's obvious the natural response is to rejoice. So why would God say to rejoice always? Well, the Lord knows there are times when we want to do everything but rejoice. Amen. All of us go through trials in life. The Bible says it clearly in Job 14 and verse 1, man that's born of woman is of a few days and full of trouble. I can look around this room today. You've had your share of trouble, haven't you? I'm looking at you. Amen. I'm looking at your face. Listen, you can learn a lot from a person's countenance. And I can look at you today. You've been through some trials, haven't you? Matter of fact, you're going through one right now in some cases. So this message, as I would say most good sermons are, is God speaking to the preacher first. This was God's word to, to me. I want you to rejoice. I want you to pray. I want you to be thankful. I've been good to you. Amen. And every now and then, God has to remind us of what he's done for us. We forget. We allow persecution. We allow trials. We allow very real, I'm going to say it specifically, demonic opposition. Amen. Some church gets scared when you say demon. It's in the Bible. It's very real. Very real demonic opposition. We allow all those things to stop us if we're not careful. And that's exactly what Satan wants. So the Bible says to rejoice always. Paul's primary intention here is to encourage believers to rejoice, to pray, to be thankful, to give thanks, to show respect, essentially honor God no matter what you're going through. What Satan wants to do to you and I is to have us so sad that we can't see what God is doing. To have us so discouraged that we cannot see the goodness of the Lord. This is one reason why the Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And the Bible also says, I will lift my eyes to the hills where comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, which made the heavens and the earth. You ought to get joy when you look at God's creation. When you look at what God has made, that reminds you of God's creative power. That reminds you of God's strength, and that reminds you that God is in control. And it was David who also says, I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, according to Vine's Expository Dictionary, to rejoice means to rejoice. I'm sorry, to make merry, to boast, to rejoice greatly, to cheer, to gladden, to rejoice with glory. Now, as I think about this, um, someone who was rejoicing maybe five, ten years ago was my favorite basketball player, LeBron James. Now, many people don't like LeBron James. Many people do like him. Um, I'm the only one in my house that likes LeBron James. Everyone in my house likes Steph Curry. My my wife, my mother-in-law, they all Steph Curry fans. Whatever, I don't like Steph Curry. But anyway, this is my sermon. LeBron James was in the NBA for nine years before he finally won a championship. Now, he would be what most people would call an alpha male. 6'10", 250 pounds, a big guy. When LeBron James finally won, 
the cameraman zoomed in on him on the sideline. And this guy was jumping up and down like a five-year-old kid, smiling and jumping. You saw a whole other side of this guy. That's what it means to rejoice. When you have worked hard for a goal, come on, you have, you have been going through trials, you have applied yourself, and God finally gives you a breakthrough, you ought to rejoice in your spirit. So to rejoice means to reflect on the goodness of God. And the Bible says in Philippians 4 and verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. We can always rejoice in God, but we can't always rejoice in our circumstance. So the truth is here today, no matter how bad your circumstance may be, God is always good. No matter what you're going through in life, he is always the king of kings and lord of lords. God is always the Elohim or the strong one. God is always God. So rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Secondly, the Bible says to pray continually. The Bible also says that men should always pray and not faint. I believe that you and I should have a prayer life, not a prayer time. Some of y'all didn't get that. We got to get past talking to God once a day. That's not good enough. Because let me tell you something, devil's talking to you more than once a day. Amen, somebody. See, I don't have a prayer time. I have a prayer life. And I'm not boasting. I'm talking about me and God got to like that. I talk to God throughout the day. I talk to God when I come across certain people. Come on. Certain people, I see them come, and I pray, Lord, help me. I don't know what to say. Come on. Amen. Let me pray real quick. Amen, somebody. The church calls those breath prayers. It's a prayer you can say in a short breath. God help. Give wisdom. Start practicing those. You'll be okay at work. Breath prayers. I believe in having a prayer life. In other words, you and I should be comfortable talking to God. And what the problem with so many believers, we're not comfortable talking to God. We see church as some, we, I'm sorry, we see prayer as some sacred practice you do when everything else goes wrong. That's not biblical. Prayer is talking to your father. Prayer is coming to the throne of grace. The Bible says boldly in the time of need. It is asking, seeking, and knocking. The Bible says in Matthew 7, verse 7 through 8, ask and it should be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and your door will be open unto you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. That's the word of the Lord to us today. So to ask in this context is to pray for yourself and also others. We call that intercessory prayer. You should be praying for your pastor. You should be praying for your community. You should be praying for this nation right now. Amen. You should be praying for more than just yourself. So we're praying for ourselves and also for others. To seek is referring to a diligence. The Bible says that Jacob was wrestling with an angel. And Jacob made the statement, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's the level you and I should get to. Where God, I'm going to pray until this depression leaves my spirit. I'm going to pray until this door opens. I'm going to pray until my will lines up with God's will. It's praying with, with the diligent spirit. As the prophet Elijah prayed seven times in 1 Kings 18. And the Bible says he prayed for rain. Nothing happened the first time. Nothing happened the second time. On the seventh time, the Bible says there was a cloud in the sky like a man's fist, and the rain fell down. And we know from Scripture that rain is a symbol of God's blessings. 
That means something to me. When we pray, God's blessings come down. Sometimes the blessing is a peace of mind. Sometimes the blessing is an answer to a difficult problem. When we pray, blessings do come down. And I can tell by the lack of amens, you don't believe it this morning. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, we have no spiritual power. So prayer is our most powerful resource as believers in Jesus Christ. It is cashing our cares upon God because he cares for us. It is coming boldly to his throne of grace. Praying until the plagues are turned away from God's people, just as it was in the days of Moses. Prayer is the key to the morning and the boat to the evening. As I reflect back over the last 15 years of my life, and I'm sure you can do this as well. I know you can do this as well. You should be able to pinpoint several clear answers to prayer. Something you know was not a coincidence. You know God did that. Amen. And God has a problem when we take credit for what he has done. Amen, somebody. To give God the glory means to give God the credit. Sometimes you got to say, you know what? God did that. I didn't do that. As smart as we think we are, as talented as we think we are, sometimes we have to humble ourselves. You know what? The Lord did that. It is because of the Lord's mercies, the Bible says, that we are not consumed. So I can look back on several clear answers to prayer. I'll name a few by way of example. When I went to go to Bible college back in 2007, I didn't have any money. So I began to pray, and sometimes I would fast. Scripture says this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. And as I began to pray and fast and seek God, the college I attended, Dayspring, offered me what was called a work scholarship, which essentially means I worked at the church for 36 hours, and it covered my whole school bill. That wasn't a coincidence. That was the answer to prayer. I was on campus. I didn't have a car. Of course, if you don't have money, you can't buy a car either. Common sense, right? <laughs> so didn't have anything. Didn't have a car. I trusted God. I think sometimes we, we, our faith is built when we have nothing. Amen. When you, when you have to depend on God for everything. I didn't have any money. I didn't have a car. And I wanted to be a preacher. So I'm, I'm going to trust God. And so God opened the door for school. Um, I met some people over at Pacific Guard Mission. Long story short, someone gave me a 94 Buick Regal. True story. First car, nice car. That was an answer to prayer. That was not a coincidence. I don't care what anybody says. God did that. So whenever I get discouraged now, I have to go back sometimes and remind myself, God did this for you. He did that for you. He did that for you. What are you worried about now? See, sometimes we forget all God's done for us. And we'll find ourselves just wrapped up in worry, wrapped up in guilt. I know it's just me, none of you guys. You all got this down packed. Wrapped up in confusion of mind. And we act like God's done nothing for us. We sometimes act like God has not done anything for us. We have to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. Like most young men, at, at, at my 20s, I, was, I wanted to get married. I prayed for a wife. And the Bible says that a prudent wife is from the Lord. Amen. So I began to pray and to trust God. And the pastor of the church at the time I was attending that ordained me, he was looking at me one day at church, and I was wondering why, why he was looking up at me. And he says, Percy, you need a tall wife. I'm like, what? <laughs> tall wife? He's talking about Leah. He knew Leah. So I'm like, I'm like okay. Where, where are you going with this, Pastor? So, long story short, that was September 2009. December, he introduced me to Leah at his house. So I met my wife Christmas Day 2009 at my pastor's house. Good place to meet your wife, by the way. Some of you are wondering, how did that, that's how it happened, if you're wondering, okay? 
<laughs> Amen. Prayer. So I know that was gospel. I didn't know her. She didn't know me. She was at college all the way in Indiana. I was in college in Lake Zurich. All the way apart. God brought us together. So I can look back over my life, over, and I don't have time to go through all this. I got a list of things. I don't have any more time. You get the point. God answers prayer. So we are encouraged to pray always. If you're here today and you're under a lot of stress, you should be doing a lot of praying. If you are here today and you are battling depression, which we do from time to time, by the way, Christians do get depressed. Don't believe that lie that you don't. When you're depressed, that's a time to pray and to seek God and to allow the Spirit of God to lift that burden. The Bible says in Isaiah, he will give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Point number three, give thanks in all circumstances. Okay, God, I'm wrestling with this one, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm praying, I'm like, okay, God, I, I, I hear you. How many know sometimes you say, God, I hear you, but I don't know about this? Come on. How many of us can be real, say right now you have some circumstances you are not thankful for? So you're thankful for everything in your life right now, really? Okay, you're thankful for everything in your life. Talk to me at the service. Help me out. You should be preaching a sermon, not me. Come on. Some things are going on in your life right now. You know and tell the truth. You are not thankful about it. You're frustrated. You're confused. I'm looking at you. You're upset. Sometimes you find yourself, and we, we hate to admit this. Let's admit it. We find ourselves mad at God. Come on. And God says to you, and he says to me, I know what you're thinking. Be thankful anyway. That's tough. Amen. That, that's, that's not easy to do. Let me tell you by experience. But the scripture says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise shall always be on my lips. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So the mercies of God are everything he has given you and I that we don't deserve. Think about all that God's given you, all that he's given me that we don't deserve. Eternal love. Let me help you out. Grace, the Holy Spirit, everlasting peace, eternal joy, saving faith, comfort, strength, wisdom, hope, kindness, come on, honor, glory, eternal life, forgiveness, we can go on and on, reconciliation, justification, sanctification, freedom, God has given you and I so much. And most of those are spiritual blessings. Amen. How many know spiritual blessings are the best blessings? I appreciate God giving you a car every now and then. That's okay. That's great. That's beautiful. But how many know God can bless you with something more than a car and a house and a job? There's something called peace. That's more than, it's worth more than all those things. There's something called joy. There's something called power. We praise God for the temporary blessings. We need those from time to time. But how many know that the spiritual blessings far exceed the weight of those temporary blessings? Amen. Spiritual blessings. So the Bible says to give thanks. The scripture says in Psalms, let everything that have breath praise the Lord. And as you reflect on the goodness and grace and mercy of Almighty God, you ought to have a praise in your spirit. The Bible says that God's glory 
is our reward. We see that found in Isaiah 58 and verse 8. God's presence in your life, that is seen by those who are not saved. The unbeliever can tell there's something about you when God is shining you. They may not know what it is. They can't articulate it, but they can look at you and see you have a light in you. And the Bible says so in Matthew 5. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In all things give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Point number four. Do not quench the spirit. It's going to get quiet in here. All of us saved folks, all of us holy rollers, all of us sanctified Christians, with all the Bible we know, talk about me now, with all the sermons we preach, we find ourselves from time to time putting the fire out. That's what this simply means. Let me give you the simple answer. To quench the spirit means to put the fire out. And how many know when you're on fire, Satan comes with some water every now and then? Come on. Amen. Now, if you've never been on fire before, this doesn't even apply to you. But if you've been, <laughs> if you've been on fire, Satan's going to try to put the fire out. So if God is using you in any capacity, you're singing, you're preaching, you're praying, whatever you're doing, and God's fire is in you, I can promise you the devil's going to come with some storm, some wind to put the fire out. So the Bible says, do not quench the spirit. When the word quench is used in scripture, it is simply speaking of suppressing a fire. The Holy Spirit is a fire dwelling in the believer, and he wants to express himself in our actions and our attitudes. When believers do not allow the Spirit to be seen in our actions, when we do what we know is wrong, we are essentially quenching the Spirit. When we refuse to speak up or share our faith, we're quenching the Spirit. When we allow our personal feelings, to get in the way of God's will, we are quenching the spirit. And how many know sometimes you have to set aside your personal feelings and do what thus says the Lord? Do not quench the spirit. Allow the fire of God to burn in you. Allow God to use you as a light in this fallen world. So as we think about the Lord's Spirit using us, how can we truly discern the leading and guidance of God's Holy Spirit? Let me give you a few ways real briefly. Number one, we can discern God's leading in our lives through the Bible. That's found in 2 Timothy 3, 16, and also verse 17. We can discern the leading of God's Holy Spirit through our leadership. We see that in Acts 13. God leads through our leaders, common sense. He will use your pastor, your elders, your leaders in the church to give you guidance and counsel. God will speak to us through our leadership. He guides us sometimes through unusual events. Amen. That's found in Daniel chapter 5. You see the writing on the wall. And every now and then something happens when it's clear, okay, God, you got me. This is what you want me to do. So he will use an unusual event or circumstance to lead us. That's found in Daniel chapter 5. He, of course, leads us through the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. 
And when all of that fails, he will even talk to you in your sleep. Amen. Because how many know we sometimes blow the Bible off? We blow off the Holy Spirit. We blow the pastor off. Stuff's happening around us. We're, not even, we're still not getting it. So God says, I'm going to visit you in the night season. The scripture says in Job 33, For God speaks once, yet twice, yet man perceives it not. In a dream, in a vision of night, when deep sleep falls upon men, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instructions. Amen. How many have ever had that experience when God gives you a revelation in the middle of the night and you wake up the next morning, I got it, crystal clear. So the Lord has a number of ways to talk to us. The question is, are you and I listening? He speaks through the word. He speaks through his people, through his Holy Spirit. He will speak to your world. Come on. Amen. He'll let things happen. Jonah, he'll let things happen. Daniel, that you get. And when all that fails, he'll visit you in the night season. And the reason he visits you at night, because you can't talk back. <laughs> You're quiet. You are what they call, you are under Holy Ghost arrest. He got you. You can't go nowhere. The Bible says in Psalms that God neither slumbers nor sleeps. That means that when you're asleep, God's wide awake. So he will visit you in the night season. So the Bible says to quench not the spirit. Next point, point number five. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Simply put, don't despise the preached word of God. And the truth is, all over this country, there are Christians in church every Sunday, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it for a pastor, who think they know more than the pastor. The pastor's been, that's okay, say amen, I'll try it too, I don't care, I'm going to say, I said it. There are Christians all over this world, I don't care how educated you are, I don't care if you have five degrees, God called Pastor Allen to preach to us and we should be listening. He's the pastor of the church. The way I see that, that's God's man. When he's speaking, God's talking to me. Sometimes I don't like it. Come on. Sometimes I get uncomfortable. But the truth is God speaks through the preacher. That's not my idea. That's what the Bible says. So we have to stop despising the prophecy or the preaching of God's word. I know you've been to school. Good for you. I know you're a businessman. Good for you. You're not God's man. Amen. I don't care. That's okay. Amen. You're despising the word of God. And you will sit back and find reasons to discredit what's being said because you don't want to do it. So the prophecy speaks of the speaking forth of the mind and counsel of God. A lot of the Old Testament was predictive foretelling of God's word. But in the New Testament, the prophecy is a foretelling of the word with the objective being comfort, exhortation, and edification. The purpose of preaching is not entertainment. The purpose of preaching is edification. The Greek word here means to build up in a figurative sense or a promotion of growth in Christian character. So if that's the case, some of the things Pastor says will make you uncomfortable. Amen. It's going to build you up. Exhortation. It is preaching that pushes you into action. That means you need to do something. So I'm explaining to you right now why you're so uncomfortable in church. That's why. Because the pastor's given a message that's designed to push you, to build you up, to challenge you to grow in your faith. And the flesh says, I don't want to hear that. So the purpose of the pulpit is to edify or to build up 
exhortation and give you a very strong push. Amen. I would not be here today if it wasn't for exhortation from my pastor. Amen. He would push me every Sunday. I'm talking about church I got ordained in 10 years ago on the south side. Pastor was an old school Baptist, and he would, he would light me up every Sunday. And I would be sitting there, ouch, <laughs> ouch. But what was, he was pushing me. He was saying, grow. I want you to be built up. It was uncomfortable, but the uncomfortable built character. It pushed me to do what God wanted me to do. So I know for experience, sometimes what the pastor says will be uncomfortable. Amen. I've been in church for 17 years. I've heard a lot of uncomfortable sermons. Amen. Let me talk to you. I've had a lot of uncomfortable moments. I want to, to hit the back door. Amen. I don't want to hear this. This is uncomfortable. Matter of fact, I went home one day. I was ironing my pants. Who does he think he is? Right? I'm still mad about it. No, at home mad about it. And the Holy Spirit says, did he lie to you? I got quiet. <laughs> Amen. Come on. So I know sometimes what's being said will make you uncomfortable. I know that firsthand. I haven't always been a preacher. I've sat in a lot of services. And you're uncomfortable. That's a sign God's trying to talk to you. That's what that discomfort is. Nothing's wrong with you. That's God saying, you hear that? Do something. So the purpose of the pulpit is to edify, exhortation, but also comfort. We need encouragement. Life is hard for all of us. Amen. And so the pastor's job is to encourage, to give you hope, to give you a way of escape, or to give you what Isaiah called a word in season. Amen. How many know sometimes you need a word in season? You need God to just tell you you're okay. You can make it. A word in season such as was found in Psalms 23. That's a word in season. That's a word of comfort when David says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. That's David comforting the saints. Psalms is full of words of comfort. So God's words designed to give us comfort, to extort or to push us, but also to edify and to build up. The purpose of prophecy is also to give direction. The pulpit is used by the man of God to impart wisdom in making tough decisions concerning our faith, our family, finances, and our future. All of us have questions in those areas. As a matter of fact, um, to be transparent, my family is in a transition right now. And so God's giving me wisdom in all these areas. Okay, God, I need some insight on my faith, what to do with my family, my finances, and where are you taking me? And the pulpit can be used by the man of God to give direction in those areas. Confirmation. And at times, the pulpit is used by the man of God to send a word of judgment. This is when the pastor becomes very unpopular. God will sometimes use the man of God to call us out on our actions. And if the pastor doesn't do this, let me ask you a question, who will? If the pastor stops doing that, who will? So the Bible says, despise not prophecy. Point number six, but test them all. Flip side of that coin. Test them all. The KJV says, prove all things. Hold on to what is good. Here is the other extreme. There are so many Christians who listen to anybody. That's the other extreme. Every pastor is not a real pastor. Let me say it for you today. Every preacher isn't really following God. The Bible is clear there is a such thing as false apostles and false prophets. And you and I must discern the difference between the two. Let me tell you something. I'll listen to everybody. 
I'm going to say it. I don't listen to Joel Osteen. And if that's your favorite preacher, come talk to me after the service and tell you why I shouldn't be. There are false prophets in the world. And just because someone is smiling and saying kind things does not mean they've been used by God. So the Bible says to test all things. Do not be a gullible Christian. We are to discern the messages, the sermons, and books we read and listen to. And to prove them by the word of God. The scripture says in 1 John chapter 4, test the spirit by the spirit to see if it is of God. 2 Peter 2.1 says, but there will be false prophets among the people, just as there were false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies or false teachings, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. So the Bible is clear. We must test people. Amen. We have the right to do that. Watch what they're saying, their, 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 their actions. The Bible says to prove all things. Now, I want to briefly read a note or a part of a, a paper I wrote for school um, last year for a class I took on the book of Matthew. This was part of a paper on Matthew 24. It talks about the end times. And in this particular part of my paper, I was talking about the false teachers in the last days. And let me tell you something. They're, they're all over the Internet today. Some of these Facebook pastors, some of these YouTube pastors who do not have the Holy Spirit, they are not teaching the Bible, and if you don't have any discernment, you won't even know what you're listening to. All these experts, 10 points on how to test a church. You don't even go to church. Who made you expert on that? All of these experts with no power from God. Let me say something today. Knowledge does not make you a man of God. You can read a thousand books. Do you have the Spirit of God in you? Has God called and sent you? That's what makes you a man of the cloth. Not a book. Not a piece of paper. There are a lot of guys who got a piece of paper who don't have the Holy Ghost. So the Bible has a lot to say about false prophets in both the Old and New Testament to warn the local church. The goal of the false prophet is simple to deceive God's people, and to have them follow Satan. Bottom line. So no matter how nice they are, they are evil. They can smile. They can say kind things. Most cases they will. By the way, if you study witchcraft and witches, most witches are nice. They got to be. That's how they deceive you. Okay? Most false prophets are not bad guys. They're going to be the nicest. You all are quiet now. They're going to be kind. Why do they do that? That's, uh, most people, listen to me, most people don't listen to mean people. So they got to be nice. They, they're they're going to be charming. They're going to be the most charismatic person in the room. No spiritual power. Do not love God. So you and I must test that spirit by the word of God. We have to look past a smile knowing it's not a genuine one. Amen. Now my wife, she criticizes me a lot for this. I'm going to talk to my wife for a second. Amen. She gets on me, you always see negative. I said, I don't see negative, I watch people. Amen. <laughs> Come on. God's not calling me to be gullible. I watch people. Not to judge, I want to see who you really are. And if you show me who you are, I'm not going to unsee that. Amen. You show me who you are. So why do we think that we don't have a responsibility to judge? Yes, we do. 
When Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged, read the whole chapter. He's actually saying you should judge accurately. Stop taking that one verse out of the Bible. Well, the Bible says shouldn't judge. That's one verse. Read the whole chapter. And the whole context is clear. We have a responsibility to judge each other. Not to find fault, but to know who you really are. I don't have problems with you judging me. You should know who I am. I'm preaching to you. I have no problem with that. Amen? You should be watching me. You should look at my character. You should look at my testimony. I have no problem with that. And anyone who does has something to hide. So the Bible says to test the spirit by the spirit to see if they are of God. We have a responsibility to discern the teaching, the preaching, and the words we hear from the pulpit. The only way to overcome a false teacher is to have a deep knowledge of the truth. That's the only way you can do it. That's why we have to be in the Bible every day. We have to pray. We have to read God's word. We have to study. We have to get past five-minute devotions. Amen. That's a good start. I'm not mad at you. You need to go up. Amen. Get into God's word. The scripture says in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, to meditate in God's word day and night. And when we do that, you and I will be successful. So we have to have a deep knowledge of God's word and truth. We are to study the Bible and judge all teachings by what the Bible says. It's that simple. The scripture says in Matthew 12, 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by its fruit. Amen. You judge a person by their fruit. What have they done for the last 10, 15 years? And by the way, if a person makes a mistake along the way, don't judge them on that one mistake. Amen, somebody. By their fruit. A lot of these so-called preachers today have lifestyles that contradict the Bible. That's a sign right there. These men are very distant from what they are declaring. They are casting a shadow on the pastoral office, unfortunately. And men who abuse that position make it difficult for those who are actually genuine. Men who abuse that position make it difficult for those who are actually genuine. I find myself explaining all the time that I'm not a phony preacher. <laughs> Amen. Because as soon as you say you're a preacher, people think, what kind? Who? Why? Do you believe in the Bible? There's so much error out there. So as soon as you say you're a preacher, people right away look at you with suspicion. Right? So the scripture says to prove all things and to see if it be of God. Point seven in closing. Here's kind of the bottom line. Reject every kind of evil. That's kind of the big picture here. Reject every kind of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 refers to the appearance of evil in the KJV, the every kind of evil in the NIV, or every form of evil was found in the ESV. Each is a good translation, and the Greek word translated here for appearance, form, and kind essentially mean the same thing. The same word is used in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, and it is translated sight. Perhaps the broader context here, or the teaching in this verse, is to prove all things. The verse immediately preceding Paul's exhortation states, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. In other words, God says we are to love those who are preaching the word to us. 
We are to encourage those who are preaching the word to us. And, and there's so less of that today that we have to be taught that again. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all. That's the context here. So God says within a church, you have all of that. You have those who are weak, you have those who are idle, and you have those who are not idle. The Bible calls them busybodies. They're all over the place. That's okay. Amen. Now, if you're mad at me for saying that, because you're doing it. If you're mad, that's okay. You get over it. So the Bible says to be patient with all. And not just here, in any church. In any church. I don't care where you're at. In any church, you have all of that. Those who are idle, those who are productive, those who are really, some here today, you're really, you're struggling. And I understand that. That's, that's okay. You're going through, as the old church says. And God says to you and I, we are to be patient with everybody. So that means the person that's struggling, be patient. The person that's weak, be patient. Even the busybody, the gossip, be patient with them too. I know you don't want to, but you have to. Amen. Pray for them. Amen. God says to you and I, be patient with everybody. That's the word for us. That's what it means to, to live this verse in context. Be patient with all. See that no one pays anyone evil for evil. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. That's the teaching of this passage. And he kind of ends that book by saying this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstance. For this is the will of God. Quench not the spirit. Don't despise prophecy or the pulpit. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. And to abstain from all appearances of evil. What is Paul teaching today? He's basically teaching through this text what I'm trying to communicate. Live in a manner that's worthy of God. That's kind of the bottom line. This Paul is saying to you, and he's saying to me, Christian, pastor, elder, deacon, whoever you are, Sunday school teacher, live in a way that gives God honor. My prayer is that you and I will think about this on Monday that we'll think about this on Tuesday. Because how many know the test is coming tomorrow? As soon as you get in your car, hey man, go to work. The test is coming. Will you and I live in a way that says, you know what, I'm going to honor God today. Let's be honest here today, church. Let's be honest. That's hard, isn't it? Come on, be honest. That's hard, isn't it? Oh, it's not? Oh, it's easy to do this, really. It's easy to pray all the time. Rejoice, come on. Let's be real today. This is going to take some work. This, as a matter of fact, to be truthful, because I, I believe that half-truths are dangerous. Let me give the whole truth. We're going to have to grow into this. This is not going to happen in two weeks. Amen. This is going to take some weeks. It's going to take some months. Trusting God to get to this level for you and for I. God, help me live in a way that is worthy of God's grace in my life. The Bible says encourage one another, comfort and urge you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Let's take this time now and pause and pray. Eternal God and Father, Lord, we come this afternoon to your throne of grace in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for this message, a very simple message, but one that is sometimes difficult to put into practice consistently. It is my prayer that we will put these seven exhortations into practice. 
that we will rejoice, pray, give thanks to God, prove all things, not despise prophecy, but have a life and testimony that is worthy of our dear Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is my prayer that we will be made steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as we know, our labor is not in vain in the Lord. And we will be careful to give you the honor, the glory, and praise for you alone are worthy. It is in your son's Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.